invite the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, we are once more humbled when we look at our humanity and see how thou has been so kind and, and loving and has been so long-suffering and overlooking the shortcomings of our race as we have lived our lives in this world, experiencing the limitations of the flesh and not knowing thee as a living father. And yet, Father, thou has reached out to us so that we may know thee and have this experience of truth and love. And we ask thee, therefore, as we have gathered today to look into thy word and to humbly and objectively assess ourselves, we pray, Father, that thy spirit may open our eyes and speak to our heart, that we may understand thy will for us today, and that each of us who are here, Lord, may find strength from thy word according to thy purpose. We ask thee, Lord, to bless this word, that it may be a glory to thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With the Lord's help, I'd like to read from the Epistle of John, first Epistle of John. The first Epistle of John, chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that ye should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, 
because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. So following from verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. I have read the entire chapter. I never cease to be amazed how God works. The chapter that we have, which is part of a theme from the letters of John, speak to the concept of love, God's love, not our love, but God's love. And I confess to you that I don't necessarily have anything particular in mind, except that this is something I've been on and off examining with respect to my own life, my, my own, where I sit in, in this written word and expectation from God. It's always healthy to, from time to time, to go to verses and to sections of the scriptures that we are familiar with and then to reassess where we sit with respect to that. Verse 1 of chapter 3 tells us that, Behold, take notice, look, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. We can, in many ways, because we're very familiar with this verse, uh, it's... Uh, a hallmark of Christianity, if you would, that these verses that people are familiar with, the great manner of love of the Father that he has bestowed or, or showered or shown upon or given to us and demonstrated towards us in that he 
calls us his children. And on a first glance, we, we can embrace this concept, this idea of how, how loving God is. And his, his great immense love uh, is demonstrated in part by the fact that he is willing to accept me as one of his own, that he's willing to take who I am and bring me into, adopt me into his, his family into, and to take upon myself his surname, which, which we on first inspection would say that is a, a tremendous demonstration of his love towards me and towards us. That such a mighty being would be willing to take me into his domain. But that is, is a good first impression and certainly it could be the starting point. But this, the significance of that statement really depends on how we see ourselves. Some people in the world would say, well, that's not really relevant to me. I don't value the, the fact that this mighty being, spiritual being, um, has, has expressed his, his love towards me by willing to take me in under his own family. Some people would not value that and say, that's irrelevant to me. First of all, I don't, someone may say I'm not in a position or I don't see myself as having the need for that kind of honor to be bestowed upon me. In other words, I, I am fine, thank you very much, by myself. And I don't need the honor of God bestowed upon me to bring greater significance to who I am. Some people may argue that Christianity um, has a complex and, and needs this additional assurance of significance by creating this, this idea that there is a spiritual being who showers upon us honor, and so we feel better about ourselves. They, the world may say that Christians are insecure. They are insecure people. They lack confidence and need this external assurance placed upon them. Now, that would be a relevant statement or one that one could... Um, could understand its origin if one had a perspective that we are fine, that we are in no need of uh, augmented honor or augment, augmented significance in our lives. And of course, such, a, such, a, such an understanding or such a position or such an opinion expressed by anyone in the world would be simply someone who really didn't believe in God and, and didn't have a need for God. Now, and that is true. 
there are people in this world, and I was one of them prior to knowing God, where there was no apparent need in my mind for God. And there was no apparent need in my mind for God to bestow his great love uh, towards me by considering me as part of his own. But then, then it became apparent. And there is, sometimes it just takes time for that light to come on. And the scripture, the scripture uses that, that terminology in, uh, in Ephesians. Um, it talks about the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Now that's in reference to um, knowing, knowing God and, and, and his riches and, and his promises towards us and the great hope of glory and so forth. But nonetheless, it speaks about this idea that our eyes, our understanding is enlightened. We, which means that it implies that there is a time in our lives from the perspective of God that our understanding is actually darkened, that we actually walk in darkness and we don't see. We don't really see. And this scripture here, in fact, we, we read it, and in, in if we were to go through in different places, we would find that that is true. Um, that there is a period of time when man, in his ignorance, walks in darkness, his understanding is darkened, and he has no need, no perceived need for God in his life. And certainly, no perceived need for, for, for God to bestow his great love towards him or her. And this condition that we're talking about means that we are, that man in that darkness has a misconception of themselves. And this is what God is trying to tell us in his scripture, that, that man is in great need to come out of that darkness and to see himself under the light of God. And it starts with the idea of love. One would say, well, that's such a, that's such a, a very uh, noble, noble concept, noble idea. You know, God could, God could have reached out to man and laid out, as he did in the Old Testament, and laid out a prerequisite of, of behavior. These are the behavioral patterns I expect man to exhibit in order for, for, for God to uh, assign or attribute some kind of level of acceptability to man. But, but God, in his wisdom, and particularly in the revelation of his son, Jesus Christ, came with the message that it is love it is love that actually penetrates the ignorance of man. It is love that, that illuminates our, our darkness, our understanding. It is love. And as, a, as an example here, um, chapter, chapter 2, uh, again, verse 8, again, I, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because darkness is past or is passing. Darkness is passing. 
And it's interesting because if you look at the Greek word there, it is passing because at any one point in time, you and I, whether we are, we are in a state of understanding, a lightened understanding or, or a darkened understanding, we are in a transition where our understanding is growing. Our understanding of God is growing. The darkness that may darken that understanding is passing. And so at any one point, each of us, although if we are Christian, we should be growing and that darkness is past. But for those of us who have not embraced the truth, that darkness, as we are exposed to the word of God, is transitioning. It is passing as we are exposed to the light of the word of God. It is impossible for, for one to be exposed to the light of truth and not begin to have some illumination of the word of God. So again, verse 8, again, a new commandment, I write unto you which thing is true in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light now shines. It now shines. He that saith, and this is the interesting part, he that saith he is in the light, now this is speaking to, it actually speaks to both. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. In other words, there isn't, there, being in the light, having an enlightened understanding, having a path that is illuminated, prevents us from stumbling. It prevents us from, it's a figurative expression here, that we would, we would be causing things to happen in our lives by that misunderstanding, that darkened understanding, causing us to trip and to stumble and to fall. But he that hated his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness had blinded his eyes. So let's look at the condition first, the example of those who do not know God. The scripture is saying here that for those that do not know God, that we have a darkened understanding. But, but it also speaks to what is the behavior of a person who has a darkened understanding? Or what is the manifestation of that darkened understanding? Well, it doesn't require much imagination. We just have to look at the world today. We have to look at the world in, in every epoch of time. We can look at a slice and look at how man behaved with, with respect to his fellow man. And for all intents and purposes, we can define our fellow man as our brother. We could, and that would be justified because we all came from one, Adam. So for all intents and purposes, we all are our brother and sister in this race, this human race. And so for any slice of time, we can look at the behavior of man. Has man loved his fellow man? Has man really express love towards one another? And the answer is no. Yes, there are, there are isolated instances where one tribe versus another tribe have expressed love and, and are working together. 
But in general, the history of man, the history of man continues to show us that man has not loved his fellow man. He has not loved his fellow man. And it happens at the micro level in your one-to-one -one interaction with a human being. And it happens at the macro level, you know, where as a, as a group, we, we, man may not manifest love towards another group of humans. And then it happens at the global level. And today, now that the world is so global, um, we see the emergence of nations. We see a, a change in the balance of power of nations. We have these ominous calls that, you know, uh, there is going to be an imminent war in the Middle East. There, you know, because, uh, because a shift in power and, 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 and we, 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 these stories, and while they may accelerate as time progresses, they just re-emphasize what these verses, what I've just read, is that when man, when man does not love God, and when man does not know God, he walks in darkness, and he stumbles, and he manifests, he manifests the absence of God in the life of man leads to a demonstration of hate. Hate. And this is really important because when we bring that home to our own personal lives, we have to look at what the word hate really means. We know from, we have verse in chapter 3, we read, For this is, verse 11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. So this gives us, a, a, you can say, a global picture of the interaction. There's envy, there's, or, or, or there's, there's, there's envy, between Cain and Abel, well, Cain towards Abel. Abel's works are righteous and Cain's works were evil. It's not that Cain was necessarily evil. It's just that he compromised. If we were to look at the Old Testament and find out what happened, Abel offered a living sacrifice, if you will, and Cain brought of the fruit of the field. And, and to God, that, what Abel did was acceptable and what Cain did was not acceptable. Could Cain have done what Abel did? Yes. We don't, we don't have the workings, and it's not necessary. The scripture doesn't give us all this detail. Otherwise, it's, as the Bible says, it would be so many volumes written. But we get the point. The point is that Abel performed a sacrifice to God that was acceptable. Abel chose to sacrifice to God that which he knew would please God. Cain, we can make the, the implication, we can, we, can, we can assume that it is a valid assumption that Cain knew what was acceptable to God and chose not to offer that which was acceptable. And then, because God accepted Abel's sacrifice, Cain got angry and, and got envious. And we see that played out all over the world. We see that played out in, even in our own lives. When we see seemingly 
the blessings of God bestowed on some and apparently not on others. And in, in human thinking, we, vow, we look at that and say, well, this is not right, not fair, and we, we, then emotions uh, arise in our minds and our heart, and then we have to deal with those emotions. And he says here, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that you, you, we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was out of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know, so this is speaking to, this is saying, well, don't be surprised if your good works are going to, are going to have a backlash in this world. Don't, don't be surprised if the world is going to hate you because, because of the way you're living, because you're doing that which is righteous in the eyes of God. And, and, that's, and that undermines what I just said earlier, that in reality, the world knows what God expects and hates it when you do it or when someone else is when someone else does what God expects and they don't do it. Because it reinforces the notion that they're not doing the right thing and they're making that choice not to do the right thing. It's, it's the choice we make consciously not to obey God that is reinforced when we see other people obey God. When, when we see other people obey God, it reinforces the notion that we have in our mind, our understanding, that we are choosing not to obey God. And that creates an emotion. And the Bible says, as Cain hated Abel, the world will hate those who reinforce that notion of the world that they are not doing by, by, this, by willful decision not obeying the word of God. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. So not only do we move away from a darkened understanding, but we move from death to life by this simple but incredible act of love. We, when we, when we know God, when we know God, we can love, and that's, that's the simple truth. We can't really love the way God loves until we know him. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I'm going to read a few verses from chapter 4. Beloved, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, 
we ought also to love one another. So here we're reinforcing this again. We ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father hath sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If, any man, if a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. Notice, notice John doesn't say he is misguided, he is mistaken, or he is um, ill-informed. No, he says he is a liar. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. He is a liar when he says he loves God. That when he makes the claim that he loves God, the Bible is saying here that such a person is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? For, for a time, I remember that this verse used to puzzle me because it's, it almost seems counterintuitive. It's, you know, you know how it is that the hardest people to love are the people in your own family sometimes? The people that you actually love the most and are closest to, they could be the ones where it's, it's sometimes the most difficult to love. But you could, be, you could love a stranger. You could be very nice to the people at work. You can have a great relationship with everyone at work, but you may actually struggle loving those in your own household, even though Deep down, they are the ones you actually love. And for, for many years, I, I confess, it used to, used to puzzle me because, you know, you can love a perfect stranger on the street. You can be very nice to a perfect stranger in the street. You can exhibit a lot, significant a lot of patience and long-suffering to a stranger, whether at work or at street, much more than you would be willing to tolerate to those in your own household whom you love. And so you could say, well, it's easy. One could say it's easy to love God, just like it is easy to love a stranger on the street. But it's much harder to love my brother, whom I really know. Well, that's, therein lies the truth. That, that just says you don't really know God. Just like you don't really know the stranger. And you don't really know the person at work. Because you're not living with them. And you don't really know the stranger on the street whom you're willing to be very long-suffering and patient with because you don't really live with them. You don't really know them. And you can't really love God if we don't really know him. And when we know him, when we know him, we come to realize 
how much, how much it takes, how much it must take for God to love me. How much it must take for God to love you. And I, and I say this with all due respect, but as we come to the light and the fog of darkness dissipates in our mind and we begin to see the character of God, who he is, there is a tremendous contrast developing. There's this picture that begins to show who God is and his attributes and who I am not. Who I am not. But in that fog of darkness, that understanding being darkened, I had an impression and an image of myself. I had this picture of who I was. But when I came to the light, the light, the, the, the power of that light illuminating, causing me to, to see myself in the contrast with respect to against the standard of God, his attributes of love and long-suffering and patience and of his purity, of his justice, of his righteousness, of, of the fact that there is no sin in God. There is no, there's no guile found in God. There is no, 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 no shadow or, 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 or slight evidence of, of any kind of deceit in God. And we when we approach such purity and such love, we begin to see who we really are not. And we begin to see that how can I say I love God and hate my fellow man? And that occurred to me many years back. And it's something that, that I have forgotten sometimes. And then when I, when I find myself expressing emotions that border on hate and or are very strong emotions then i i have to question who am i who am i am i mere mortal man being alienated from the truth not having been enlightened having my eyes in my understanding, enlightened, not having that connection, not having tasted the goodness and of, and of the power to come? Or, or what am I? Well, for the Christian, if we have tasted of his goodness, is, if we have experienced the nearness of God, if we have at least had a sufficient glimpse of who God is and of his great love, it changes us. Just that glimpse alone, just... Coming to know who God is is enough to want to elicit in us a desire to be like him. And this is, this is one of the great mysteries because we can't just play down this message of, of, of salvation and say, you know, just, you know, raise your hands, accept the Lord in your heart and you will be saved. It's not just that. It's about, it's about inquiring First, starting with, a, with, a, with an inquiring mind. What is this great manner of love God has bestowed on me? Why is it such a great manner of love? Why should I be concerned or interested in the fact that God has bestowed honor upon me by willing to give me his surname? Why should I even be bothered to be concerned with that? And as I approach and follow that line of, of inquiry and I draw closer to God 
and I become more aware of who he is as I come closer to that blinding light of truth and then I see myself in the contrast of that light. I don't see myself with my perception. I don't see myself with who I am based on my rational thinking. I see myself in the contrast of the light of the word of God. There is nothing for me to think. The contrast is so obvious. I am nothing in that light. And then I want him. I want him. Because he's just shown me that in, in comparison with God, I am nothing. I have been like my fellow man in history. I have hated my fellow man. I have murdered my fellow man. Civilization after civilization have demonstrated they have walked in darkness by hating their fellow man. But when we come to the light, when we come, become illuminated, when we follow the line of inquiry as to why should I have his surname, and why is that an honor? Then I find who I am. I find who I am. And when I find who I am, it is impossible for me to walk in darkness anymore. And if I am tempted, or if I begin to exercise, as it says here, and Apostle John doesn't, doesn't hold back any truth. If we say we love God and we demonstrate and exhibit characteristics of walking in darkness, we are liars. Simple. We are liars. We either do not know God or we are willfully lying. We are willfully deceiving. To know God is to be changed into the image of his son and to conform to that image by loving our fellow man. It is impossible for that not to be the end result of the experience of knowing God. If we say we love God and we manifest the works of darkness, then we do not know God. We have not known him. We are living and walking and abiding in darkness. And so the message and the, one of the messages, there are many messages in, in the epistle of John, but one of the messages that we need to draw to closer to that light. And we need to see ourselves in that light. And we need to examine ourselves. Are we walking in that light? Is the, is the character of God having free course through the empowerment of the Spirit dwelling in me? Is that being manifested in my daily life, particularly first at home? And I say this cautiously because everything I say points back to me, but it's true. It first starts with those you love, those you know, those you know, and then it spreads out. May the, may the word of God speak to our hearts and minds, may help us to understand his will for us. Amen. Perhaps someone may say that I'm too harsh on my race. I'm too critical. And one could say that certainly you could look at the achievements of man throughout history and there are many wonderful achievements. Um, 
technologically, we have advanced our understanding of science and medicine, which has helped relieve the pain and suffering of many. And certainly, our lives have changed, our societal standards have changed, where, where there are democratic rules, there is a fair opportunity, one could argue, for man to, to have and to, to be able to uh, seek and pursue their own, their own interests. But punctuated in history is the misery of our existence as well. There is war. There is endless war. And if we were to be a historian of the civilization of man and only speak about the great uh, achievements of man, we would, be, we would not be doing justice to who man is. Because once we look through a magnifying glass the history of man and, and begin to see how, in fact, there is a lot of bad, there's a lot of hate, a lot of hurt, a lot of evil that man uh, performs and carries out upon himself and upon others, we would, we would have to question the virtue of man the virtue that is in man. We'd have to, to be fair, we'd have to judge the evidence and say, why is this so? And in the absence of a restraining factor, in the absence of a, of a contributing factor such as God, man would be left to his own devices, and while there is some virtue, there's also some vices, and there's also much evil. And so, in fairness, in, in looking at the, the evidence objectively, we can say that man needs help. He does. He does. And the first help comes in recognizing who he is. And it starts at the personal level. Come to the light. Come to the light know God, you will know yourself in the contrast of the light. And that will change you. It will change you. And you changed. You will become an agent of change that will be contagious. And you will, you will help change others by leading them to that same life-changing light. May the, word, may the Lord add to his word whatever is lacking, and may we be encouraged by the things we've read and heard today. This concludes our service. Amen.